58. It just hit me, by the way, when I was prepping this week. A lot of what we're talking about is based on a Disney movie called Inside Out. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Inside Out. Okay. It's a, it's a great movie. If you haven't, you know, that's your, that's your spiritual homework to do this week is to watch Inside Out because it's really about, um, you know, all the emotions that are inside of us, which are great. The emotions that are inside of us are great, but sometimes they pull us in, in opposite directions. Sometimes they put us off balance and we make poor decisions in life and affect not only ourselves, but those around us because we have allowed an emotion to be the boss of us and to control us and to throw us off. Today we are in part five of our series called Bless Your Heart. And if you have missed any of the previous series, you can check it out on the church's YouTube channel or, or on the podcast, looking up St. Mark ATL. But I want to jump right into our emotion this week that pulls at us, that kind of unblesses us, that, that, that kind of takes the, that controls us a lot, which is fear, which is fear. And this is the, the movie from the, this is the character from the Disney movie of fear. But I, I want to clarify something about fear right from the get-go. Fear is a word that you hear a lot in ancient Christianity. You know, stand in the fear of God. Worship God in fear. So, and I have, I've met people that have walked away from the church and walked away from God, says, I'm done with this whole church thing. I'm done with this whole God thing because I have to be afraid of God. What kind of God is that? So let me clarify that real quick. That is a divine fear. When we say I should stand in the fear of God, what I'm, what, what the church is telling us to do is that there should be reverence. That I need to understand that I'm limited and he's unlimited. Like he's the creator of the universe. You know, and I just came onto planet Earth yesterday. So I'm limited. My comprehension, my logic is, is limited, but I'm pursuing the unlimited. So I need to have that reverence. I have to understand that where, where yes, I call him father. Yes, he has invited me to call him my friend. But at the same time, I need to have reverence. So the church uses the word fear. And this is ancient literature. We find this all throughout scripture. And we also find this in first century Christianity, which is orthodox Christianity. So I want to put that aside as far as what is divine fear. But the fear that I want to focus on today is the fear that takes control a lot of us. So fear is actually can be a good thing. Besides the divine fear, fear can be a good thing. So I want us to go with this definition of fear. This is the definition of fear we need to go with. Fear is the byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and project it into the future. So this is a heavy definition. Let's, let's go through this again. Fear is the byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and project it into the future. Fear has driven so many great things in society. Of us, the, of wanting to know what's coming up next in, in the future and technology and society, this, this motivates us. This makes us say, I cannot wait to see what the future holds. But that is coming, being the catalyst, being fear to push us. So that's a great thing. But there's also another type of fear that controls a lot of us. And... I got permission from my wife once again to use her as, as bait here, but fear is when we're sitting on the couch and what is that thing on our daughter's leg? Wait, let me Google it. And we just spend the next two and a half hours looking up everything. I have this weird cough. Let me look up what this. There's this bug. Let me take a picture. of. Let me look it up. And this entire fear of us wanting to look up every single thing because out of fear. And this fear Throws us completely off balance. Anytime we say, what? Let me Google that. What do you think that is? What do you think that is? We'll take a picture of it. What color is it? You know, does it, what sound does it make when you look at it? Put it in Google. And we start doing all this out of fear and it controls us. Anxiety controls us. And this fear consumes us in so many different ways. Jesus comes into the picture. And then Jesus says something that like, 
we can't, like, it seems kind of like, are you serious? Like, Jesus would say something, and then he would say, fear not. Fear not. Or Jesus would come out of nowhere into a room of all his disciples, without knocking, all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere, and he says, fear not. What do you mean, how am I supposed not to fear? Like, you just came out of nowhere. And Jesus loved to tell people, fear not. As if, like, you couldn't relate. But he understood our fear. He understood our anxiety. But he would begin by the first thing that Jesus would say was fear not. One of my favorite things is when Jesus was recruiting his disciples, when Jesus was recruiting a, a, a follower of Jewish men, which would initiate the movement of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, when Jesus wanted to begin the movement of the church, he gave his disciples this analogy. He didn't tell them, hey, guess what? We're going to be skipping into the sunset, and it's going to be great, and people are going to be talking about you forever, and people are going to name churches after you. It's going to be, you know, be, be, it'll be the best is, is yet to come. No, Jesus hit him with reality. And he says, he gave him an analogy. Maybe it's hard for us to understand, but Jesus gave him this analogy. He says, hey, you know, it's been great a couple of days. I'm glad you guys have decided to, you know, come and follow me, but I'm really sending you out as sheep among wolves. When we hear that, okay, maybe we kind of use it figuratively, but when Jesus said that to his disciples, they understood that. Like, they understood the reality. They understood what happens when sheep are, are sent among wolves. They're like, they fully get it. And they're sitting here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. And they're like, um, and what did Jesus say? But, 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 but don't fear. Fear not. What do you mean not fear? How should I not fear when you're sending me out as sheep among wolves? Let's jump into what Jesus told some of his disciples. And, and Jesus decided to take his disciples on a little field trip to kind of train them. Like this is kind of like on-the-job training. So Jesus takes his disciples on, on a field trip on a boat. And they go in the middle of a lake, Lake of Gennesaret. And they're in the middle of the lake. Then all of a sudden, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. So historically and geographically, this is very common. Just the location of where this lake is. If you have, if you're, we, when we went on to the Israel trip, like we went onto the lake. It's calm when we went, but it can be very ferocious just because of the location of it in the middle of valleys. It's easy for wind to get captured in there and for the lake to be very furious. So suddenly, not just a storm, but Matthew, who was a first eyewitness of this account, he records that there was a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Okay, this is a first eyewitness recording this event that occurred. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him. Okay, before we go into what the disciples told Jesus, sometimes we read this and we think of like, like the cartoon picture of like, you know, the disciples are kind of like scared and Jesus is just like this and everything seems so perfect and there's just a little bit of water coming up and touching the boat and it's like dark. And this is our picture of what it is. But St. Matthew, who's recording this first eyewitness of this account, just put yourself in this. This is reality. And this is a first eyewitness recording this event. There's not just a storm. St. Matthew records there's a furious storm and water is, is hitting the boat, getting into the boat. And Jesus was sleeping. Then the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus is lying, sleeping. And the disciples are saying, Lord, get up. We're going to drown. So Jesus like just pops up his head just a little bit. He doesn't get up all right. He just pops his head up a little bit. Jesus replied, but of course, it's, 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 there's a storm. So everyone has to yell. Like You have to be two inches from each other, and you have to yell. So Jesus replies and yells, you of little faith, you of little faith, what did you say, Jesus? Did you say I have hair in my face? No, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? 
Then Jesus got up. Then Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Isn't it nice to know that God is chill under pressure? Isn't it good to know that, that, that our Heavenly Father is calm when we are struggling with anxiety? Isn't that good to know that the creator of you and me, who has invited us to call him Father, is calm under stress? The men were amazed when the storm calmed down. The men were amazed and asked, and they asked this question. The question that they're about to ask should be the central question of every human being that have ever questioned life in any shape or form. This should be the question. Every human being, regardless of worldview, that every person should ask this question about this historical figure, this rabbi known as Jesus of Nazareth. Everyone should ask this question. What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Is he just a really good dude that said a lot of nice things? Is he like, you know, some superpower, some superhero? Or is he this majestic blend of full union between humanity and divinity? What kind of man is this? Everyone should be curious about this question. Some of us are, but we dismiss it. I, the Jesus that I grew up learning, I don't want anything to do with that God or that Jesus. I'm done. But inside of us, there should be a question inside of all of us. What kind of man was he? At a personal level. And this is the question that sparked the disciples once this, this storm calmed down. Who is he? What kind of man is he? There's something different about him. This man that we know historically changed the course of world history. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Let's fast forward now after the storm. And the disciples are leaving. They're getting out of the boat after the, after the storm calmed. And they're saying, what kind, of, what kind of man is this? There's something about him. Yeah, like it's been cool. I saw a couple of miracles and, and like he's pretty popular. But what kind of man is he? And they're still asking that question after this supernatural event. Fast forward now. Some time goes by. And Jesus sits with his disciples and he asks them this, this pretty obvious question. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? We don't understand this 2,000 years later when Jesus said, we don't understand this question. And when Jesus said, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? He's like, so sparrows are like just, a, a, I don't want to say worthless, but like a pretty cheap bird, okay? So Jesus says, like, couldn't you buy a couple of like these lousy birds for a penny? Like, don't, don't you know that's the, that's the economic value of it? Right? You get that, right? So Jesus begins with an obvious question for them to, for him to engage. Like, yeah, you get it, right? You know, these birds are cheap. Aren't two, barrels, two sparrows sold for a penny? Yeah, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And they're probably thinking, wait, even God cares about, like, the birds? Like, yeah, I'm the creator of the universe and all its galaxies. And even a rinky-dinky bird I care about just like I care about you, but you're at a different level because you are the reflection of me. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is Jesus talking to a bunch of Jewish men. And, and, and these Jewish men, like, they, they've, they've seen God being this, some distant figure. And now Jesus is saying, God who loves you, who loves you more than some birds, says you are worth more than anything. 
We fast forward now to another boat ride, another field trip that Jesus takes his disciples. So before we get to this boat ride, Jesus is with his, his, with his disciples, and there is a very historical event that occurred of Jesus feeding the five loaves and the two fish. Is it okay if the, if the kids can wait outside? Is that okay? Five minutes? Is it okay for the kids to wait outside for five minutes? Sorry. Because I know everyone is starting to look over there. It's okay. There is a historical event that occurred, which we know of Jesus taking five loaves and two fish, Jesus taking a lunchbox from a kid, and, and Jesus blessing it and feeding thousands of people. So now this has catapulted them to popularity, and people are just running to Jesus and running to the disciples. So Jesus says, hey, you know, let, let's go for round two of a field trip on the boat. So they're like, um, okay, we kind of know what happened last time. I don't know about this, Jesus. This is where we are. Immediately, Jesus made, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. We kind of, we kind of run through things and we don't pause and, and kind of analyze every word that first eyewitnesses wrote. St. Matthew is writing down, yeah, Jesus made us get back into that boat, the same boat just a couple weeks ago that we were drowning on. Yeah, the one where Jesus was sleeping. Yeah, Jesus made us get back into that boat. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus, okay, hey, hey, get out. Everyone's like pretty popular now because they got free lunch. Just get into this boat and, and get out of here. I'll, I'll meet you. I'll, I'll see you when I see you. Just get in the boat and go. Of course, we know from this record that the disciples are not, yes, thank you, Jesus, for a great day. We're going to get into the boat. No, they were forced to get into the boat. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Let me pause right here. For many of you, you have heard the story before. You've heard of Jesus walking in the water and Peter before we get into any of that. Many people would say, okay, you know, this, I, I know this from like a children's Bible, like I've seen it in my kids' Bible, and like I've heard this story before. What I want to make very clear, and for this to be the culture of St. Mark Church, and this is the divine reality of our ancient faith, these are not stories. We do not believe this just because it's in the Bible. Hear me out. We do not believe this just because the Bible tells us so. We believe this because Matthew, who was a first eyewitness, wrote down this event. We believe this because St. John, a very young man who was a skeptic of Jesus, ended up recording this event as well and was a first eyewitness as well to Jesus and writing down this event. We believe this because, because Peter, St. Peter, who, who was hesitant of putting, of putting his trust into Jesus, ended up recording his own embarrassment. Let me just say, I'm, I'm horrible with literature, but you can look this up on your own. There is something in literature and something in writing called the criteria of embarrassment. The criteria of embarrassment. If someone wants to know if something I read is true or not, if there is something in the writing that the author makes himself look dumb, then we know that this is true. Do you get what I'm saying? If we wanted to know if, if what I'm reading is valid or true or not, if, if someone who's writing this makes himself look weird or normal in the, in, the, in the record, then that makes us put more trust into the validity of this literature record. Does this make sense? There is a book that I'm reading right now called Don't Be Overwhelmed with the Size. You know, I only, I only work one day a week, so I have more time to read this. But the book is called, the book is called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. The Gospels as Eyewitness Testimony. This book is the centerpiece of Orthodox Christianity. We do not believe that Jesus loves us just because the Bible tells us so. We do not believe the story just because the Bible tells us so. We believe because there was first eyewitnesses 
who began the movement as apostles. They began the movement of the church because they made themselves look normal in the book. Like if, 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 if St. Peter had every right, had every right as he's beginning this movement of the church, he had every right to write in, the, in, in, in his letters saying, yeah, you know, like I was on the boat and then I was kind of like skeptic of like Jesus walking on the water. But man, I went out like a boss and I walked out on the water and glory be to God forever. He could have easily said that. He could have written his own story. But no, he writes down his own hesitation. He writes down his, his, his own hesitation. He writes down his own embarrassment. This, along with other historical evidence of the validity of who Jesus of Nazareth is. This is why we know that we belong to a dynamic body of Jesus, the Son of God. Not just because some, just because the Bible tells us so. It's way more than that. My tangent's done. We continue. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Is that a ghost? They said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know, the reality of the disciples is that fear still controlled them. Even after seeing all these amazing supernatural events and miracles, fear still controlled them. And the evidence of that is how many of those 12 were at the the feet of Jesus at his crucifixion. Yeah, just one out of 12. So fear still controlled them. They still hesitation. And the thing, the event that made all of this come true, which gave them the most amount of confidence and allowed them to overcome their fear, was that they saw this man, Jesus, from Nazareth. They saw this man overcome death himself. The resurrection. For us, when we think of Easter, we think maybe, you know, like, you know, great food and, you know, family. That, that's our view of Easter. But to them, resurrection meant that everything they experienced for the last year and a half with Jesus is reality. That everything they experienced is, has now come to completion in an amazing way. That they saw the, the, the science overcome. They saw that Jesus overcame death himself. And this put a whole new meaning to everything they experienced. Now, fear not carries a brand new meaning to them. Before, Jesus says, okay, if you're not, I'm going to send you out as sheep. Okay, yeah, Jesus, we won't fear. You know, when is lunch? That would be their response. But now, after seeing Jesus, who predicted his own death, overcame death, and then had breakfast with the disciples the next day on the beach, now to them, fear not has a completely different meaning. This is what empowered the disciples to go with vulnerability and transparency and say, listen, I was a skeptic of Jesus, but now my life is, is different. My marriage is different. I make better decisions in life because now I pursue him who is God in flesh. This is why Peter, oh uh, oh, man, this is solid from this book. I forgot about this. This is written by a first century physician. This is written by a first century physician who who is not a Christian, but he is just watching. He's watching the zeal and passion and energy from these first century Christians. He's seeing their energy from them. And, and, And he ends up, this physician ends up recording this. For fearlessness of death, and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. This is a physician. You can look this up yourself. I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. This is history. This is a first century physician looking at these Christians, seeing their passion, their zeal for, for Jesus. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. This physician is saying, man, I saw something in them. They, the fear and anxiety weren't controlling them like I, like I struggle with because they saw there's more to life than, than this temporal world. They were pointing to something so much bigger. They were part of something that rocked the world. And I saw fearlessness not over control them. To me, this is amazing. 
the vulnerability of St. Peter, the scaredy cat, who did what was where to walk on the water. He ends up recording this. He's telling, or he's telling a group of Christians, cast all your anxiety on him. Yes, all your anxiety, the small and the big, everything that keeps you up at night. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because I saw what happened when fear controlled me, and I saw what happened when I decided to lean in toward him. I came as, with, as a skeptic. I came with hesitation. I said, you know, I said maybe I could do a little bit of Jesus, but not all. I'm him. I'm that guy. And I'm telling you, cast all your fear on him because he cares for you more than your logic can even understand. And this is why a convert to Christianity, a missionary by the name of St. Paul the Apostle, who wrote majority of what we have of the New Testament, more than half, he said this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and anxiety. Well, what if this happened? What if that? Well, I don't know about this. Did you Google it? What does they say? What does WebMD say? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But our sound mind gets pulled when fear controls us, when lust controls us, when anger controls us, and we're being pulled on different sides. But we can put our trust not just because the Bible tells me so. It's way bigger than that. I can put my trust in other men who are normal, who are skeptics, who decided to take the leap of putting their trust in Jesus, and their life was never the same, and our life will be the same. Our life will never be the same if we put our trust in him who invites us for us to put all our fear, anxiety, our worries, questions about the future, for us to throw that to him. This is where we can find new life because this man ended up overcoming death himself. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, fear controls so many of us and pulls us on so many different sides. But Lord, we want to kind of pull that back in and for us to find that balance. That yeah, fear is good at a healthy balance. But for it to control us, this is what we need to take that leap and say, you know what? I'm not different than Peter. And I need to, to, to lean in toward Jesus just like Peter did. Then I need to throw all my anxiety, my fears toward him. And this is where I can find new life. This is where the resurrection will have a new meaning toward me. Through the prayers of St. Peter the Apostle and all your sins, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but of us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, if you guys don't mind, if you can have a seat real quick. So with today's